0: Hey, John and Way, this is Chris from Irvine, not Chris Irvine, a.k.a. The Ojo. No, it's Orange County Chris on the Discord saying I can't wait for the live show. It's been a minute since San Jose pre-WrestleMania 31, but I'm feeling very oozy right now. It's going to be a heck of a time. Canadians and so Californians in New Jersey. Can't get any better than that. See you then. Get your last minute tickets at postwrestling.com slash live and come join us this Saturday for a live Q&A with John Pollock and Wei Ting, a pre-show game with Braden Harrington and Davey Portman, and the largest gathering of the post-wrestling family this Saturday at QXT's nightclub in Newark, New Jersey. Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock live from the BDE with Eric Marcotte. Eric this has been um, the most challenging show I have ever had to logistically put together. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: I mean, I, I had to adjust very little for myself. You're the one who is traveling <laughs> to uh, other parts of the city oh to get this God. show done.
0: <laughs> so let me just get all of this off my chest. On, I believe it was Wednesday, I get home and there is a notice in my, in my uh, mail that on Sunday the power for my entire street is going to be down beginning at 8 a.m. well until the afternoon of about 3 p.m. And instantly, my number one priority, this UFC show that we have to do on Sunday, just a total mess. So thankfully, Davey Portman coming through in the clutch, hears about my dilemma, offers up the BDE itself uh, for me. And thus, I have arrived, I have overcome Uh, travel issues, microphone issues. Um, If you're getting some ambient noise in the background, that is the beautiful Don Valley Parkway. And you know what, folks? That just comes with the territory. That's what you've got. Eric Marcotte here to steer the ship. Uh, How does it look? How does it sound? Just lie, Eric. Say that it sounds flawless.
1: It sounds flawless, and really the background just adds to it. There's so much going on. Uh, Kyrie Zane is now featured in this uh, UFC What are we recap. doing? Like, what,
0: what are we doing <laughs> at this point? This is this is just uh, surreal for, for me. But uh, we are here to chat about UFC 281 that went down on Saturday night from Madison Square Garden. Um, I think, Eric, I mean, recency bias aside... I thought this was probably the card of the year. I thought this was just a fantastic show pretty much from top to bottom. We had 14 fights. I believe 11 finishes of the 14. You correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Uh, You you got it. 11 fights or sorry, 14 fights, 11 finishes. uh, And I'm with you. I thought this was the card of the year, just tremendous stuff from the first fight on the prelim onwards.
0: So the, the main takeaways from the show, there were quite a lot of them. Uh, 22,845 was the announced sellout crowd at Madison Square Garden a gate of $11,562,807. Not for the cheap at heart to be attending the show uh at MSG, but we have two new champions including including Alex Pereira who is the new middleweight champion who has now earned his third combat sports victory over Israel Adesanya, ending his 3-year championship reign. Um a main event that I, I found, you know, extremely compelling, Eric, because this was a fight that um I think everybody to a person had the same scorecard going into that fifth round. And it seemed to be that Adesanya had done enough figuring out a uh, Pereira, but everyone knew the danger that this guy presented. And Adesanya found himself in the most dangerous position up against the fence and being finished in this fifth round.
1: Yeah, every exchange throughout this fight was so tense. I mean Paheyra, he he clearly had the advantage in terms of power, but early in the first round, at the end of the first round, you saw Adesanya rock Paheyra, and that kind of uh, brings it both ways, where throughout the entire fight, you're thinking, well, Adesanya can tag him at any moment of this fight and end it. And throughout the fight, he does seem to be a step ahead, but Paheyra is constantly finding success whenever he marches forward, trapping Adesanya against the cage, and it feels like he's getting closer and closer to landing that big shot until we finally get to the final round, where he is down on the scorecards in need of a finish, and he is just pressuring forward nonstop, giving Adesanya no room, and he tags him.
0: So the the fight began, first of all. um, So both men weigh in on Friday, and Pereira waited pretty much literally until the last minute to weigh in. It looked like he had a hell of a weight cut to get down to 185, and by the time they stepped into the cage, I believe the... um, The stat out there was that Pereira, who weighed in at 184.6 pounds, was up to 211 pounds. Dude, he looked like a monster next to Adesanya. They brought it up that he looked like a light heavyweight. There was no exaggeration with that point. It looked like a monster next to Adesanya. All
1: right. The size difference almost seems bigger here than it did in uh, Adesanya's fight at light heavyweight against Jan Bajovic. Yeah. That's how big Pajera is. He is a ginormous middleweight.
0: Does this somewhat cool your thoughts on the Adesanya move, the permanent move to light heavyweight? Because I have now seen two fights where he has taken on larger individuals. I just, certainly this guy could take some time off and and put on muscle, add some size, but... I just, this guy's a middleweight to me. I think this is his weight class. I don't know about the, the, the move up to light heavyweight on a permanent basis.
1: I agree. I think he has the perfect size for middleweight. Uh, that being said, I think the light heavyweight division is honestly weak enough that even with his size disadvantage, he can beat a lot of those fighters, but uh, middle, he is a middleweight. This is his weight class. I don't know if I can say the same about the current middleweight champion, but uh, <laughs> he's yet to miss weight, I suppose. <laughs>
0: So in, in the first round, I mean, this was a round, again, the, the huge size disparity and, uh, Adesanya landed, uh, with a right hand, but then it's Pereira that was clinching with him, delivering body shots. Um, and I think most had Pereira winning this round up until the final second of this round where Adesanya stuns him with a right hand and then throws this left hook that was I think right up against the line of allowable. I, I mean they explain that he he wound up as the horn was sounding and then connected after the horn uh gets in this this left this left hook at the end. But uh that was enough that I think it changed everyone's scorecard if you were leaning towards Pereira and I gave out Asanya the first round.
1: Definitely. He had Peyer in a a ton of trouble here, to the extent that you could see that if there was more time left in the round, he may have got the quick finish. But uh, I I didn't think the shot after the bell was too egregious. It was like real quick. This wasn't like a a Jermaine Durand, I mean Holly Holm or Jose Aldo, Chad Mendes type strike, but uh, a huge moment for Adesanya early in the bell.
0: Uh, Pereira comes back in, in the second round. He's landing w- with jabs, uh, Adesanya on the break, uh, connected with a big shot, but it's Pereira with the pressure, putting Adesanya against the fence. And this is where he had his best success was in close, uh, backing up Adesanya towards the fence and then gets a takedown at the end of the round on, uh, Adesanya. So a, uh, a Pereira round in, the, in the second and then the third round, very big one for Adesanya because suddenly, uh, as they were calling him, uh, NCAA Dasanya comes out, and it is the wrestling game of Adasanya, who takes him down, wrist control, getting his hooks in, and then Pereira tries to roll for a leg lock unsuccessfully, and Adesanya's on top in his guard and at the and then stands up, goes for an axe kick to the body. Huge round uh, for Adasanya, and we've got it. I assume Eric, the same card of two to one going into round number four.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Surprised at all that Adesanya went the the wrestling route in, in this round. Like To me, it was a big statement that this was not about ego for this guy of having to get the knockout. This was a very strategic round and a super effective one for Adesanya.
1: No, I actually expected a lot more grappling from Adesanya throughout this fight. You know, he's not a wrestler. I think they even said this was the first takedown of his MMA career. But his grappling is yes. very impressive. Every time the fights went to the ground, he's either been able to return to his feet immediately or he showcased some strong jiu So I thought against a fighter like Pereira, who doesn't have... Uh, I mean, every time he's went to the ground, he has not looked good at all. Uh, I thought Adesanya might try to beat him there. And... Uh, The third round was the most we saw. He was unsuccessful with his other attempts to uh, engage Baher in the grappling departments, but uh, a strong round for Adesanya.
0: The fourth round, it seemed very strategic on both sides that I think both knew that they wanted to keep enough in the tank for a fifth round. Uh, but this was another Adesanya round. Um, He's attacking with with kicks all over, landing some really effective kicks to the body of Pereira. And then Pereira puts Adesanya against the fence, lands a big shot, and then they clinch another big strike by Pereira at the end. Um A, a bit closer, but I thought still uh, an Adesanya round. So he is up, I, I would say on most scorecards, three to one going into this fifth and final round. And they start off the round clinching, and the crowd is booing this. They just want to see these guys go to town. And Adesanya checks a leg kick, and he rolls backward. And then it is Pereira putting him towards the fence, and he starts this barrage with a right hook. And then he mixes in an uppercut. And then a left hook and then the uppercuts are flowing and Pereira just unloads everything. And Adesanya is just eating these and looks out on his feet. He is keeling over. He's on rubbery legs and Kevin McDonald steps in stopping the fight after this huge flurry at two minutes, one second of round number five, your new middleweight champion, Alex Pereira, um, a a hell of a performance by Pereira. I think he answered a lot of questions at the same time. Um, this is not this unbeatable monster either at middleweight. I think you could, if you are a, a top tier middleweight, if you're Adesanya, there is a path to victory against this guy, but he is extremely dangerous in certain situations. And um, being able to put Adesanya, his back up against the cage, limiting where he could go, um, that proved to be a very, very dangerous scenario for Adesanya and ultimately ended the fight.
1: The leg kicks from Pajera added up throughout the bout, and they really affected Adesanya's movement, allowing him to close the distance and trap Adesanya against the cage, especially later in the fight. Where, uh, you know, after the third round, I was worried about Pajera's gas tank. I thought it looked Mm -hmm. like he was going to be slowing down, but he didn't really, especially in round five. He seemed to have more left in him than Adesanya did, who was fighting very defensively at that point. Uh, I I think some of that was that fourth round. I think
0: he. I think he realized in the fourth of kind of preserving himself for for that fifth. Like it was it was a smart game plan that he had, a, a risky one. But um, you know, I, I kept going back in the in the fifth round, Eric. That there's always the debate about open scoring and this idea that you know. And granted, you will get different variations, but the fear is that well, if someone knows they're up, they're just going to coast at the end. This to me was like the most clear cut scorecard, and Adesanya had every excuse in the world to just coast in the fifth. And the opposite argument is that the guy who knows he's down is going to be so aggressive. And I think everyone in the world knew that Adesanya just had to get through these five minutes and he was winning this decision. And instead, we got this finish in the fifth. And I, I think that it was, um, it, to me, it was more intriguing because I don't think there was any debate about the four rounds going into this unless you were, I don't know, just like really on a, on a different island when it came to this scoring. I thought the four rounds were pretty clear cut.
1: So did I. I didn't think there was any controversy at all, and uh, neither did the corners of either fighter. I think Adesanya was well aware that he was up going into that final round. At Harris corner, they, they told him he needed a finish to win the fight, and he's like, in the most stoic, calm way possible. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go do that. and And he did.
0: This corner of Pereira's going into the fifth was something to hear. I mean, they were just, uh, you know, pretty much telling them, you know, this is what your life has come to these next five minutes. So you're either going to live or you won't. So it's up to you, essentially was the message here. And, uh, Pereira lived. He is the middleweight champion. And I think that there's going to be a hell of an argument to go to the rematch here. Um, th- do you see that being the, the automatic, um, rematch direction or c- could you see? S- something else uh playing out here for uh Pereira and Adesanya uh
1: Adesanya was a great champion I believe this would have been his sixth title defense if he were to have won this fight so it wouldn't shock me at all if he does get the immediate rematch even though he's he's down uh three fights to Pereira right now which is uh remarkable <laughs> but uh, there are other directions to go in because like I bet watching this fight and the outcome uh Robert Whittaker was sitting at home a very, very happy man because uh, he was effectively eliminated from the title picture after two losses to Adesanya, despite beating everyone else in the division. And now he just really has to get by Paulo Costa. And boom, he is a strong wrestler. He has great takedowns. I think he's looking at this fight and he's saying, this is a great matchup for me. What about Marvin Vittori? Two losses to Adesanya. Sam boat. strong wrestler. He's looking at that as a winnable fight, too. The entire division has been uh, shaken up by this result.
0: Certainly. I think that um, I think Whitaker and Vittori are very, very tough styles for Pereira to deal with. Um, Costa, Co- I, I would favor Pereira against Costa. But to yeah. be quite honest, if you announced tomorrow that Adesanya was getting the rematch, I, I think that there would be a lot of people that would still favor Adesanya in, in the rematch. Like, it's just, it's, it's one of those styles. Like, Adesanya was, you know, minutes, he was three minutes away from a decision victory, but there is going to be, um, there is always that, that threat with, uh, Pereira and having a, it, it certainly questions if you are Alex Pereira, how much your hunger is to fight this guy for a fourth time when you have three victories over two sports over this guy of, you know, Do you want to go through another preparation for Adesanya?
1: Yeah, at some point, that motivation's not entirely going to be there. You've beaten this man three times. Each one uh, was, like, none of these, he just steamrolled Adesanya. They were all fights that you could argue Adesanya was winning until he didn't, but... uh... (laughs) <laughs> i i wouldn't be shocked he seems like the kind of guy just kind of down for anything too you just hear uh, his interviews his reactions he, he does, you don't seem to get a lot from him i can see him just getting that contract okay that's the next one, or or they'll give him marvin vittori a stylistic nightmare but yeah okay sounds good <laughs> he's he's quite the character or, or the exact opposite maybe
0: so how how, how is our post show going so far eric give us a give us an assessment give us a breakdown
1: you know, I think uh, given everything, everything that led up to this, I, I'm giving us like top reviews. This is us working through uh, the Titanic going down. It's it's remarkable. I, I
0: feel my I, I am I am paying attention to like five separate things. One of them being uh, the, the recap here. So as as though the uh, the waters might be a little choppy, as long as we are navigating, I, I'm happy. So uh, thank you to all of you that are are joining us or listening live after the fact. Uh, but It was not just the end of one historic title reign. It was the end of two historic title reigns, Eric, because Zhang Li is once again the women's strawweight champion, ending the reign of Carla Esparza, which did not get off to the most entertaining start earlier this year when she defeated Rose Namajunas in what might be the worst fight of 2022. I'm going to say this. I was not picking Carla Esparza to win this fight, but the amount of just disregard for Carla Esparza this week, Eric, I thought was just... It was too much for me. I was like, there was just, there's no, and granted, in hindsight, everyone can sit on those beliefs and they're not cold takes, but I just felt like the idea that Carla Sparza didn't have a prayer in this fight, I was not on that, that level. I think Carla Sparza, I was not picking her to win this fight, but I did not think this was just a, a automatic that she is just uh, a lamb being uh, brought to slaughter here. There was just, there was so much disrespect for Carla Sparza in the lead up to this fight.
1: Uh, I may have given her a prayer, but that, that was about it. The thing is... Yeah,
0: I, I'm all alone she, here on the, the of fo- the front.
1: I I, I don't uh, think Carlos Esparza is a poor fighter by any means. She's proven herself over the years, but Zhang is just a bit better everywhere, even in the grappling department as we saw in this fight, because she is so strong and explosive that uh, a person with, like Esparza with more rigid movements, uh, she had a tough time dealing with that, and she had a tough time dealing with Zhang's uh, pressure, as we'll get to as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, these were just uh, incredible odds when you look at a championship fight. The challenger, Zhang Li, a minus 340 favorite as far as of the plus 280 underdog. I mean, it's, it's not every day you see those uh, kinds of numbers for a champion and challenger. But, um, you know, you, you can't really argue either. Um Zhang was using, uh, kicks. Once she started to loosen up in the first round, I mean, you really saw that Asparza, aside for, first of all, uh, the woman is not allowed to come out to Metallica. She updated everybody. She's come out to every fight to Metallica. And then she was told the day of, uh, no Metallica. So she got to come out to, uh, what was this? The, the dropkick Murphy's off of, uh, Dana White's old yeah, iPod. Yeah. The
1: most, the most generic walkout song aside from rocky music uh, imaginable. Yeah. <laughs>
0: man it was just like well what What? what's your second pick for a theme just pick anything i don't care all right you're getting the dropkick murphy's because that that's our you, you know this was
1: straight from the dana white playlist right like yeah, this 100%. is like one of his top five songs on there she's lucky she didn't come at the stem honestly
0: <laughs> yeah it was gonna be a uh, dropkick murphy's stem <laughs> or jump around those are your three picks uh for, from dana white's collection <laughs> So uh, Asparza catches the leg, trying to take her down. They scramble, and as Zhang gets her back, and they get back to the feet, Asparza catches the leg again, but Zhang uh, spins around getting side control, and here you can see the progression of Zhang's grappling Um, and ends the round in Carla's guard, lands an elbow. Zhang uh, wins the first round, and then in the second, it's Zhang uh, defending the takedown, and the way that this scramble ends is Zhang with a crucifix tying up the right arm of sparza, and then she's got her arm around the neck of Carla so she's threatening with the choke and then with her free hand she gets it behind the neck to cinch in the the rear naked choke a minute five of round number two Zhang Wei Li, your strawweight champion for a second time so we had two two-time strawweight champions in this fight by the end of it all and um you know a a pretty clear path to victory here for Zhang Wei Li as uh Carla Sparza probably the last time she will challenge for a championship in her career at the age of 35. That would be my expectation.
1: I think that's a fair guess as well. I mean, <laughs> nothing's impossible in the sports, but uh, especially as long as Zhang Weili is champion, I, I don't see that rematch happening anytime soon.
0: Maybe if Carlos Barza takes the uh, the Hanato Moicano strategy for post-fight <laughs> interviews might might be able to crack one more title fight down the road but I'll tell you who the unofficial winner of this fight was Rose Namajunas there was nobody who had a great it was either feast or famine based on who won this fight Carlos Sparza wins Rose Namajunas isn't sniffing a rematch with Sparza, but with Zhang Li, that to me is the obvious fight after after this so Rose Namajunas had to be very very happy with this outcome because it was uh, a, a tale of two outcomes based on whoever left with the championship
1: yeah I and mean, she she has two wins over Zhang as it is uh the second fight was very close i scored that one for Zhang, but uh, rose got her arm raised in the end uh obviously her last fight is a loss and a very uh <laughs> one that will not be fondly remembered by the masses I, I wouldn't be surprised if she does have one more fight before then but um there aren't a lot of options in terms of star power. I mean, Yoana Janjacek is effectively retired, and she has two losses to Zhang as well if she were to come back. Uh, Jessica Andraj, I have no idea what she's up to. I think she's back at flyweight, but a loss to Zhang on her record as well. Um, Amanda Lemos is an option, and mm-hmm. I think that would be a very entertaining fight, but she doesn't have the name value. So I, I do think Nami Yunus may be the most likely uh, next challenger, depending on her availability.
0: Yeah, it's it's also a very it's always that difficult role for someone like a Carla Esparza, who I still feel is dangerous enough that she can knock off a lot of contenders. But if you kind of see her as on the, like she is out of that championship picture and you're not all that motivated to see her in a title fight again. I mean, what, what kind of matches make a whole lot of sense where Esparza can knock off a lot of your potential challengers in a division that isn't too deep with them either. Um, Like I oh. still see Asparza beating like, you know, top 10, top five, even quality opponents, as we saw in the lead up to her title fight, who she could still, you know, like a, a yawn, shout on, like she demonstrated some very effective skills in that fight.
1: Oh, there's an easy next matchup to make for her. Uh, Carlos Barza, Rose Namunis, three. Oh, so, to goodness. determine the next challenger.
0: <laughs> How about maybe, maybe they can find some, some kind of stipulation for that fight. It, um, uh, to, to spice it up. maybe, maybe, uh rose nami Carlos sparza power slap
1: oh that's money that is money right there i mean you're guaranteed action in that uh, at the very least right
0: i've wanted to ask you this all week will you be watching power slap eric
1: i'll watch the first one i, I will say that i will watch the first one i i cannot promise i will watch anything after that but uh the first card i want to see how this is presented
0: Yeah, I I'm definitely going to watch the first show. I don't know if there will be anything more, but maybe maybe in January when the show debuts, maybe it will be the first time that myself, Eric and Brandon from New Jersey do a show together. Maybe maybe that should be the occasion. I think there's only two people I would love to chat about power slap with because this thing is going to be just a circus and, and then some that was quite the press conference on Friday
1: um i was not one of the 13 people who watched it so i'll take your word for it
0: (laughs) do do not slander power slap it was 61 people in that youtube uh channel when i logged in at uh friday afternoon so uh you know just tons of interest in in this this latest venture a lot more interest in this next fight that we're going to talk about dustin poirier and michael chandler a fight that everyone expected to be incredible um it was that and then some the fight of the night um I don't know what we can say about this fight, but we will do our best here. Uh, the first round, uh, kicks off with, uh, Chandler throwing a lot of kicks. He's a very aggressive coming out and then is connecting with the right hand and putting Poirier against the fence. Chandler is having a lot of success. Um, they, they bump heads. At least that was, that was Joe Rogan's interpretation. And then Chandler lands some big bombs on Poirier who goes down and then Michael Chandler. Delivers a German suplex onto Dustin Poirier. Clearly, clearly a, a nod to the late uh, Antonio Inoki and uh, what he took from a uh, from from Big Van Vader. I think clearly.
1: Uh, I, I'm not surprised that Chandler is a huge Inoki fan. You could really see the influence throughout his fights.
0: So they each they each then connect with some big strikes. Chandler delivers a knee, and, or sorry, Chandler goes down to a knee from from the shot, and then Poirier just comes on strong in the final 30 seconds and nearly finishes Chandler. And I thought Poirier did enough here at the end to take the round, but Chandler had Poirier in some extreme problems uh, midway through this round. But by the end of it, uh, Michael Chandler looks like um, a shovel had been taken to his face for five minutes and he was auditioning for um, Home Alone or something.
1: Yeah, despite everything Chandler did throughout the round, I think everyone, including all three judges, were in agreement that this was his round he had he almost had Chandler out of there at the end of the round and uh if there was a few more seconds he probably would have
0: this to me will probably be on the short list too of round of the year I thought this first round was just unbelievable I was just like I just couldn't fathom how these two would be going another 10 minutes at this rate and it wasn't quite at this level for the next two rounds but I I mean this this first round it just had everything it went back and forth um you had Chandler I think surprising people with just how much he connected on Poirier and then the comeback at the end of this round. It was an incredible five minutes.
1: Um, just at at this point, round. I think that's at this point, that's just what you have to expect from a Michael Chandler first round. Complete insanity. It doesn't even matter who his opponent is. It could be Poirier, Gaethje, Oliveira, even Tony Ferguson. You're just going to get a uh, insane roller coaster of an opening round.
0: The second round, uh, Chandler lifts Poirier up, slams him down, uh, but Poirier is pretty active off his back. He used his elbow to cut open Chandler, and Chandler just leaked on top of him like a faucet here. And Chandler gets the back, goes for a choke. He's got the hooks in, uh, but then ends up in Poirier's guard and his landing strikes, including many to the back of the head, um, which prompted Forrest Griffin to uh, tweet, if you're not going to enforce the the strikes to the back of the head then get rid of the rule um uh, this was chandler was just like that's nah, it's only a rule if it's enforced because he's going to just take it as a mere suggestion he was battering this dude in the back of the head
1: oh My- michael chandler was right in that case because i can tell you i've seen a, a trillion strikes to the back of the head throughout these years of watching mma and i can, and i can recall maybe two times in which it's been called as a foul it's it's one of those rules that are never enforced so you might as well just go for it
0: Uh, So it's it's even on my card going into round three and the third begins with Chandler again, lifting him up and going to the slam. Um, But then um, tries to go to the back, loses it. And it's Poirier that ends up getting Chandler's back immediately, cinches on a body triangle. And from there, he's able to get a rear naked choke and it is in tight, submitting Chandler at two minutes of the third round. And Dustin Poirier is your winner. Just a hell of a fight that these two had. And they were coming in with unreal expectations. Uh, they were met and then some in this fight.
1: Yep. Uh Just like uh, MSG last year when Michael Chandler faced Justin Gaethje, the second this one was announced, uh, the expectations were through the roof. A fight of the year candidate was expected. And somehow these guys went in there and delivered. I mean, the first round, yes, it was one of the round of the year contenders. And while the second and third round were more grappling heavy, just the roller coaster of Chandler finding all this success with his wrestling and trying to go back to it in the third round, only for Poirier to take his back and choke him out was some spectacular stuff uh, a hell of a performance from both men really and another impressive win on the resume of Dustin Poirier who has become one of the greatest fighters of this era
0: it really puts Dustin Poirier in a unique position where I think he is he is just on that cusp of you know th- this guy fighting for another title in his career I think is, is very viable at, at this point it's uh like, what What can you see as, like, Dustin Poirier, what's What's your follow-up to this?
1: Uh, after the fight in his uh, post-fight press conference, I believe he suggested Benil Dariush, and uh, if that's the fight he wants, then go for it. Sounds like a fun, fun matchup to me, and beating Benil Dariush, who's won how many ever fights in a row, that might be enough to give him another title shot. Uh, listen, I don't favor Dustin Poirier's chances against Islam Makachev, but... His goal is to become the undisputed lightweight champion, and you're going to have to knock off a great fighter to do that. So, go for it.
0: Well, maybe it'll be Dustin Poirier and Alexander Volkanovsky. Are you writing off Volk already, Eric?
1: I actually just completely forgot about that. <laughs> uh,
0: Come on, we have a champion uh, you know, versus champion announcement in in February. Oh, uh,
1: I still don't know who I'm favoring in that one. To be honest, that is a uh, really interesting fight.
0: Yeah, th- this was an incredible fight. Um, I don't want to be like a downer here, but watching this fight right after the fight we're about to talk about with Frankie (laughs) Edgar, to me, it's a window into the future. I think for a lot of these guys, this is not a sport that ends on a high note most times. And I just, I watch these guys. It's like their day will come. Like there is, there is a check due at the end of fights like this. And I mean, these guys have just taken an incredible, amount of damage in their careers and they're they're still hot they're still operating at a very high level but I mean there's sometimes it's overnight but it is inevitable that it will happen that you just do not leave these fights without you know a toll being paid at some point and you know uh throw Justin Gaethje into the mix too like those three they they have an unbelievable uh catalog of fights that they have put together over the last number of years but you, you certainly just look no further than Frankie Edgar like There's a toll for those fights.
1: I mean, with Michael Chandler, he's always had a bit of a reputation as a guy who uh, (laughs) feels like a disrespectful terror, but he's been referred to as a bit of a glass cannon throughout his career in the sense that he could put anybody out, but he's also crumbled many times after getting hit by hard shots. Uh, With Dustin Poirier, he is a very resilient fighter, and he's just been in so many of these wild fights since his UFC tenure started. I mean, going like as far back to that fight with the Korean zombie so many years ago at featherweight. That was 10 um, years I, ago,
0: man. That's 10 years I, ago. That fight took place.
1: And I mean, look at the Korean zombie. Now you can see that he is at that stage of his career in which his, he's deteriorating. And I don't know how much longer Dustin Poirier can keep this type of thing up. He's still fighting at a tremendously high level. He's in fantastic shape, but uh, you you definitely worry for for uh, these guys a bit.
0: We also had uh, Dustin Poirier was was very upset after the fight and you know, brought up to mm-hmm. Joe Rogan that Chandler fish hooked him, um, which is which is quite the uh, the claim to make. But man this this production team they pulled up the clip, um, some pretty compelling evidence. I mean that's yeah. pretty much what we <laughs> <Very> saw <clear. laughs> here. I mean there was not much doubt here. Uh, Chandler is on his back. And then puts his fingers into the mouth to like raise the neck to go for the choke. And I mean, Chandler seems like a guy that it's just like, hey, if if no one's going to call it, I'm going to push every limit possible. But this was um, I I would love to hear Chandler's defense here. But this the, the video evidence certainly did not sway anyone on Chandler's defense here.
1: Oh, the audio picked up some gold throughout this fight. Not only did it it, uh, catch uh, Dustin kind of uh, giving Chandler some hell about the fouls, it also, after the fight, before the decision was announced, uh, he goes up to Michael Chandler. And he out-Michael Chandler is Michael Chandler by delivering this inspirational speech about uh, fear. And the only time you can overcome fear is by being brave (laughs) There's just this like epic clash, and it was, like uh, ill timed But at the same time, if anybody's going to just love that, it'd be Michael Chandler, who, give, who gives out these motivational speeches like five times a day. Dude, th- this
0: sport <laughs> doesn't deserve Dustin Poirier. He's at a, he's at a uh, higher level of like a class yeah. human being than the sport uh, deserves. Have you have you tried his hot sauce?
1: Oh yeah, I love his
0: hot sauce. His hot sauce is like it's not some like just gimmick of like oh. it's actually pretty good hot sauce.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's good stuff. It's not like uh, it's not the type that's going to scorch your mouth or anything. It's actually usable with foods and all that. Uh, I get it pretty regularly, to be honest. And they don't pay us a dime to say that either. So
0: um, there you go. No. It's just an honest uh, yeah, appraisal. Be. All right, let's get to uh, what was the probably the saddest uh, fight for everybody <clears throat> on this fight. You know, I, I made the mistake, Eric. I was doing some work yesterday, so I figured I threw on some Frankie Edgar fights. I watched. I watched the second and third Gray Maynard fights. I watched the Tyson Griffin fight. And then I went into the – that that was not the palate cleanser for this fight to, to get ready by watching some of those wars. Although, going to my last point, it was informative to watch these fights and then this is the end. It does kind of all connect. Um Frankie Edgar, 41 years of age, fighting at bantamweight. Those are not often combinations you hear too much. Um, this is a very much a speed division, and with Frankie Edgar, he has had some nasty losses of late. For me, the Corey Sandhagen knockout was just okay. Let's let's have a sit down at this point. That was just a frightening knockout. He came back, uh, fought Marlon Vera, knockout loss to him, and now this, his third knockout in a row. Um, you know, it's you know. You could just see like Gutierrez, just his footwork, his timing, like he was just advanced beyond Edgar here. 10 years younger. Um, there's a spinning back fist that lands that Edgar absorbs, but then as Gutierrez is timing, uh, sets him up and there's this huge knee down the middle and dude, Edgar just, uh, coffin drops here. This was just a brutal knockout 201 of the first round. Gutierrez is your winner. Um, Listen, that is how the sport is going to go for most of these guys. It is not a fairytale ending at the end of these careers. And this was just sad. I mean, you had his family in the front row that they showed just before this. It, this was, I mean, if you were a Frankie Edgar fan, this was certainly your, uh, your low moment of the night. But that is the reality of this sport and fighting at this age against this level of competition.
1: Yeah, this was rough to watch. I mean, all the credit to Chris Gutierrez, who looked phenomenal here. He was just so much faster, uh, so much more explosive than Frankie. Uh, timed his shots and got the quick knockout, uh, as I think most people expected. So a big win for him against his uh, highest-ranked opponent today, date, the big name on a big stage. But I think most of the attention of here is, of course, on Frankie Edgar, uh, his retirement, and uh, a, quite a brutal loss to go out on. And... It's tough, especially to see a guy like Frank Yeager, who's been at the top of the sport for so long, uh, looking like a very low-level fighter, too, as well. I mean, just compare this to a similar case with Dominic Cruz getting knocked out by Marlon Vera not so long ago. You watch that fight and you can see, even though the durability and the speed aren't quite there for Dominic anymore, he's still a very high-level fighter. He can still keep up with uh, some very top-level talent that's not the case with frankie edgar uh and yeah this was really sad to watch he's lost almost all of his last few fights that his only win coming against uh pedro munoz who's a similarly like 38 year old fighter Uh, many thought he lost that one as well uh it was a rough stretch to end his career
0: in some ways it's like the 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 180 because i remember being at a UFC 175 that international fight week in 2014 and the night after was Frankie Edgar BJ Penn the third fight that absolutely did not need to happen and it was the opposite it was watching BJ Penn in this role where he just had no business at at this point and that was in 2014 and it was a being in the uh the media room afterwards like it felt like a funeral afterwards because it was just BJ Penn where it's like okay the guy is Very much human. And this game has has passed him by. And that's sort of, you know, that's, that's kind of how these careers go. It's about knowing when to get in and knowing when to get out. And sometimes it's very tough on the back end of that equation.
1: I mean, once upon a time, Frankie Edgar was a fighter uh, famed for his resiliency and durability, perhaps above any other fighter in the sport. This was a guy who, see, who seemingly could get hit by anything, dropped by anything even. And he'd always pick himself up, he'd always recover, and he'd usually win. I mean, consider this guy fighting at bantamweight at this stage of his career. And he looked undersized against every opponent he was in there with at bantamweight. This guy was the lightweight champion of the world of multiple defenses. He was always someone who overcame the odds. He felt like an underdog in, even, in every fight, even when he won. And uh, eventually, yeah, his uh, genetic balance, they, they fail as you get older. That durability fades when you have eight hours of octagon time on your record. Uh, it, it's a sad part of the sport, but it, it's one of the realities of the sport that I think we're all aware of. There, there aren't many people who are going to beat that clock for as long as the likes of like Jose Aldo did. It was
0: wild, Eric, like watching him in that first fight in the UFC with Tyson Griffin. Like if you remember Tyson Griffin, who was like a, a serious guy and just the size discrepancy, it was like crazy Um, that here's Frankie who wasn't cutting any weight to make 155. But at that time, like there were no, no lower weight classes in 07 in the UFC. And he's fighting Tyson Griffin and that was, and this guy became a champion at 155. I think he has a very celebrated career. I mean, there's, you will not find anyone with anything bad to say about Frank Yeager. What, what are the fights that come to mind for you? Is it, is he going to most be remembered for the Gray Maynard fights, the BJ Penn ones? What comes to mind instantly for you?
1: Whenever I think of Frankie Edgar's career, I kind of think of it in two separate stages. You have his successes at lightweight, which mostly revolve around his championship reign, of course, his wins over BJ Penn, specifically the second one, which was a bit more decisive than the first. And we all try to forget about the third one. And, of course, the great, the second and third great Maynard fights, which were just legendary bouts. If any of you haven't seen either of those fights, go watch them, because you can make the case that they're the two greatest lightweight fights of all time. The, the other stage of his career was uh, perhaps even a bit lengthier, and that's the six years he spent in the featherweight division. Uh, he was pretty much the top contender at featherweight from when he moved down after losing his title until he left the division after a, a, a rough loss to the Korean Zombie and a, a loss against the then-champion Max Holloway. And it's that was just qu- sort of a case of being in the division at the same time as a couple generational talents. When we're talking about Jose Aldo Jr. and Max Holloway, guys he just couldn't uh, quite keep up with. But his run at featherweight was remarkable, too. This included wins over Chad Mendes, over Charles Oliveira. I, I mean he had a lot of success even after uh the end of his title run
0: yeah how good does that charles Oliveira win look in in hindsight and here's a guy like not even stopped till it was like the brian ortega fight like that was only a few years ago that this guy was actually getting stopped in fights so i mean just just to look at these recent fights like that kind of tells the story like he had these wars but it's really tough once you're pressing you know into your 40s in this division of you know it's even a chris gutierrez who is unranked um You know, there's just killers in this division. So um, not not uh, not a happy ending for Frankie Edgar's uh, career, but uh, uh, a tremendous career that he had, like a Hall of Fame career when you look at uh, what he did. And at a time when this company was not even geared towards his natural weight class at the time and becoming a champion in a division that he really did not even belong in. Um, That to me is um, such a remarkable uh, feat that will stand up for a long time. Dan Hooker and Claudio uh, Puyas in the opener on the pay-per-view. Um, Dan Hooker very much in need of a win here. uh, Puellas, uh very much in need of an Iminari role, which was uh, he had some success in the first <laughs> round and then just went to this over and over and over again. He did have Hooker's leg at one point, but Hooker was in a safe position, got out of danger, and uh, get, gets out of it, ends the round on his feet. And then in the second, like this crowd, they want none of Poyas just constantly... <laughs> Scooting to his back and like wanted no part of the stand up with Hooker and Hooker's just getting frustrated and these imanari rolls the crowd is just booing it. Hooker then lands a deep kick to the body and Poyas is very much hurt from this and then lands a second one. Poyas goes down and the fight gets waved off at 4:06 of the second round. This was just wild. Uh Poyas, you could certainly give the first round to him and I don't think he even landed a shot in the in the first round. It was just all the the threaten the threat with the with the heel hook, but this was uh quite the fight to start things off with. I didn't know what to make of this.
1: No, this was a really weird fight. This was like a, a Ryan Hall fight on steroids. Yeah. It was it was so strange. I mean, he he did almost get Dan Hooker in a spot of trouble in the first round, but that was that was all of his success really. And he just kept going for it to, to no avail, and Hooker just picked apart with you know. A lot of body work, and uh, you could see that Claudio's his gas tank it depleted very quickly. And I think mean, this was a weird fight to watch.
0: <laughs> and this turned out to be, um, at least one of the uh, the wins for city kickboxing on a night where they went uh, two and two because uh, on the prelims. Uh, Brad Riddell representing city kickboxing fell to Hanato Moicano, who I don't know if any of us had on the short list of stars to come out of this uh, particular fight card, but <laughs> Moicano, my God, this guy. So he's, he is, uh, he's three and two since he moved uh, to lightweight, he submitted Alexander Hernandez back in February, and then he came back three weeks later and fought RDA at a catch weight. And uh, like just on the three weeks notice and lost by decision to him. So has been very active already in 2022 uh fighting here at 155 pounds. And uh Moicano is landing with his jab lands with a knee and dude, this guy just was so accurate with his strikes. He had cut Riddell under the eye and then gets the takedown goes to the back of Riddell and secures the rear naked choke and Riddell just, I mean, they were, this this forced Daniel Cormier to bring out the telestrator. This is the point he wanted to emphasize was how little Riddell was fighting this choke, pointing out all of the ways his hands could have been used, and he chose none of those options, submitted at 320 of the first round, and then the most incredible speech ever by Moicano. This was uh this put Nate Diaz to shame. This was <laughs> this is probably gonna be the defining moment of Henato Moicano's UFC career was the speech. It was pretty much all censored uh, if you were watching at home but this place was losing it joe rogan was dying uh, this guy was just something else it was unbelievable spoken the third person he wants money he's disrespected over the rankings i think there was something about eating steaks in brazil i mean this this just covered the gamut of life for hanato Moicano he let it all out here
1: his energy was at a uh- 2,000 out of 10 here. He was off the charts. Uh, he was swearing every second words. They censored like 75% of his was, speech and I mean, that just adds to it really. You have
0: to watch, even the censored version, it's just like the idea that a person was trying to capture all these like F-bombs was just it was amazing theater to watch of imagining the poor guy in the truck uh, that was in charge of this as this is airing on i think it was like espn news or something in in the us like this is not even on the pay per view this is on live television
1: and they would cut back to him when when they're not censoring and he's like talking in the third person like Kano doesn't give a shit <laughs> it was the most entertaining speech i have heard in years uh it was it was so great Uh, he's an entertaining fighter so this just goes along with it uh fantastic fantastic stuff it it wasn't like this
0: win was like the, the like the performance of the night but in terms of a guy that upped his star power with all of this this like from start to finish speech included I mean the the gains that this guy made. Um, like this is part of the game of like trying to separate yourself from the pack of just being an entertaining personality that's a great fighter. Moikano is, you know, he's he's always been like a dominant guy at featherweight, you know, and moving up the lightweight, he's had success. But I think this is gonna do wonders for him and just his profile.
1: He's really been showcasing his personality a bit more since moving up to lightweight. I mean, his last post fight interview was pretty good as well. Not, not as good as this, not on this level, but he showcased some of that charisma. And the, the one that always comes to mind, and I forget his opponent right now, but it might have been his first fight up at lightweights, but it was a really heated ballot and, and, uh, Morikano finishes, submits him quickly. And then Morikano's like, pissed he's angry after the stoppage and we can't tell why and then the mics uh, they see him go up to his opponent and he says man i'm so angry i want the fight longer and the other guy says well you shouldn't have submitted me then <laughs> tremendous moment
0: <laughs> this is great they should put the whole uncensored thing up on youtube or, or something like this This they have, needs, you can, you you can to check be seen. it
1: out on the ufc post fight uh ufc uh YouTube page and I recommend it 100 because this was the highlight of this entire show.
2: What's up, Biggie Apple? This man's the guy. Hey, where we are? I thought we were in New York. New York, <coughs> awesome. Go, <coughs> <coughs> no. Indeed, Joe Rogan. I want to. I want to make the question for you, man. You is my person on the earth, bro. I watch your podcast every day, Joe Rogan. Training at day, you're get And I'm like, here to take over I'm here to take over. Make no mistake, I lost only to the best. But today, I'm the best. We well, you certainly are at another level. Sir. Let's go, New York. Make some noise. I love it. Renato. Renato, I have to be on ranking, man. This is disrespect. I took a fight, five-round fight, in four days' notice. Shot they know I drinking beer eating steaks in Brazil and they call me and I'm come here. I travel 24 hours. Disrespect me. I want bonus. Moicano wants money. <laughs> Moicano doesn't give a I can beat these guys on strike, I can beat on wrestling because right now I'm all American wrestling bro. I train NTT, Steve Moku, Paul Mike Brown, all these have been show me how American wrestler. Now I'm a Brazilian wrestler. I believe it, sir. Congratulations on a truly special performance. I love you too. And that's a Moicano, ladies and gentlemen.
0: In a light heavyweight action, Ryan Spann knocked out Dominic Reyes in a minute twenty. Uh, both were throwing heavy at the start, and it's Span just getting the better of the exchange, knocks Reyes out cold with a left hand, and then just for good measure, one more shot on the ground as if that was necessary. Uh, so Span was twelfth uh in in his ranking uh Reyes was 7th uh but this is now his fourth consecutive loss uh third straight stoppage and it just looks eric like that that John Jones fight was a crossroads of his career he had all the injuries coming out of that uh or sorry i i'm i'm confusing him with uh with uh with Tiago. Yeah, but um good. nonetheless had such a close fight with John Jones and since then, it's just been he's just cratered in the, in this division, and I just don't know what is next for Dominic Reyes.
1: It's so weird to speak about the the fighter like Dominic Reyes, who felt like he was just climbing to uh, contention to the top of the ladder uh, less than two years ago, and at this point, it feels like we should be talking about him in the same way we were talking about Frankie Edgar. He has been brutally knocked out in three straight fights. His durability is in serious question right now. Uh, like, I don't want to say, oh, okay, he's, he's been knocked out three times. He should go retire. But it's it's really concerning uh, just how far he's fallen so quickly and in brutal fashion.
0: And he's 32.
1: Yeah, he, I mean, I, I don't know what to even make of the age. It's not like he's that old in terms of fight years. but. Uh, it's, I don't know what's next for him at all at this point. It feels like he's uh so far removed from where we thought he would be.
0: And uh, Ryan Spann said, uh, well, he was asked, what's, what's been the difference? What's led to all this success? He's like, I train now. He said before, I had never <laughs> trained longer than three weeks for a fight. So now he's fallen into this trap of doing fight camps, Eric. So it's, it's, it's proven to be a, a good model.
1: Uh, who would have guessed, really? I mean, uh, that's a really interesting technique that he's uh, trying out here. I think more fighters can learn from Ryan Span.
0: This guy had had 27 fights coming into this, okay, and he said <laughs> now he's started fight camps. So that's that's quite <laughs> quite something to figure out as you're approaching your 30th fight. So uh, this is a great win for for Ryan Span. The light heavyweight division it's not always the deepest. So if you can get on a bit of a run, you can elevate yourself pretty quickly in in this division. Molly McCann against Aaron Blanchfield. As much uh, attention is on Molly McCann, she was a huge underdog in this fight. And uh, Blanchfield, only 23 years of age, she's 3-0 and in the UFC, coming off a submission against J.J. Aldrich back in June. And uh, Blanchfield gets the takedown into side control, and she uses a crucifix, and she landed... Um, I lost count after about, like, 3,000 shots that she landed on Molly McCann, who could not get out of this crucifix. And then Blanchfield... Figures, well, I'm not getting a stoppage here. So then she moves on to the Kimura, nearly snatches McCann's arm off of her body, then goes back, reapplies the Kimura, and finally Molly McCann taps. Um, Cormier stated on the broadcast that the strikes in this fight for the three minutes and 37 seconds it lasted, 111 to six. And my question was, where did the six come from, from Molly McCann? Um, I didn't even count uh, that that high. Um, Big, big win for Aaron Blanchfield and... She is, uh, again, she is, uh, she makes you seem old, Eric. I mean, she's, she was born in May of 1999. And, um, God, this flyweight division, it needs some, uh, some contenders. And I wouldn't say Blanchfield should be looking at a title fight yet, but, um, certainly look great here against a Molly McCann and, I I would say someone that everyone should definitely keep their eyes on because she she looked great here and hopefully they slowly progress her. But this this could be somebody that in in a year or two is, you know, thrust right up into the top of the division.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think this was a matchup that kind of raised some eyebrows when it was announced. It felt like the UFC was getting behind Molly McCann a bit with her recent surge in popularity. And I don't think this was a fight that anybody thought she stood much of a chance. And uh, no disrespect to Molly McCann, but. Aaron Blanchfield is for for real. And the fight played out exactly as you would expect it to. Um, she's 3 0 now in UFC, I believe. She's looked very impressive throughout these three fights. And uh, she's looking at a top 10 opponent next, I'd imagine.
0: 4 0, 4 0 in the UFC after, after after this win. And I believe she. I, I didn't see the press conference that she did afterwards, but I believe that she was asked about Valentina Shevchenko and said, When I fight her, I know I can beat her. So, I mean, she's uh, not lacking any confidence. I, I would not want to throw her to Shevchenko yet. Let's uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. But this kind of a division, this is the division where you get thrown into the deep end pretty quick if you put together some wins and have any kind of following behind you. Because, God, there's, there's nobody for Valentina Shevchenko.
1: No, I mean, I'd, the only thing people are even considering right now is the Talia Santos rematch, I suppose, after the split decision in their last bout. Uh, maybe in Menon Firo, uh, but she didn't seem that interested in a Valentina Shevchenko fight. So uh, there there definitely aren't a lot of options for Valentina outside of uh, a third fight with Amanda Nunes, I suppose.
0: Andre Petrosky and Wellington Terman. One of the few fights that went the distance uh in this. Um I had uh, it was a very close first round. Um I ended up scoring it uh, for for, for How did how did you have the, the first round? Because I, I was going like back and forth and then I saw like everyone like outraged when they saw Petrosky get the uh 30 27s here. But I, I thought this round was close enough. I don't think it's a crime if you went with Petrosky here. But how did you have it?
1: Uh I scored the first round 10 9 for Petrosky.
0: Yeah. So the second here uh Terman is trying for a guillotine he loses it. Um this is where Petrosky started to uh to use some of his grappling. He gets a mount but then on his own, he decides to go to half guard instead. He's like four for seven on his takedowns by this point, landed some big elbows at the end. And then in the third, it was a, a completely one-sided round for Petroski. He got another mount, uh, let go of a choke, and he just controlled Terman, slammed him down to the mat. So I had Petroski 29-28. Uh, the judges had it 30-27 twice and 29-28. And so Petrosky is now 4-0 in the UFC, and he threw out – the two names at the top of anyone's list uh Bo Nickel okay or Gerald Mearshart one or the other that that's who he wants Eric uh uh, uh, an interesting pairing of like either either one Bo Nickel or Gerald Mearshart
1: you know when you think about uh unranked grapplers in the middleweight division to be fair those might be the top two grapplers you could name completely different styles of course but uh I can see where he's going. He's on a quest to prove that he is the best grappler in this division. So, yeah, go for the two guys who could also take claims to that title who aren't in title contention. So I'm guessing that's his intention. And I'm thinking that Mirashart's probably a more likely next belt for him than Bo Nickel, who's uh, fighting in December, I believe.
0: Is he, did he get a new opponent for that? What what happened with that? There was his opponent. Did he fall out of that fight or did his opponent? I can't, I can't even remember now.
1: Um, uh, I, I don't know either way. I don't even remember. He was announced for that card. I
0: something might've happened to that fight, but we can check. Um, Matt Fravola and Otman Azatar. So Otman Azatar, they explained had been let go by the UFC when he had uh, been accused of uh, letting somebody into their bubble on fight Island and then uh, I guess UFC did a reverse uh, course correction and then brought Azetar back. So he has not fought in uh, two years. September of 2020 was his last fight, and then he was supposed to fight Matt Frivola when this incident took place. So now all these years later, they finally get to the fight, and um, Azetar swings, misses. He gets clipped with a right hand, and he goes down from a big left and gets finished with two more on the ground as Matt Frivola gets the knockout in two and a half minutes uh, of the first round. And afterwards, he gets on the mic and he tries to start a chant for himself. And I was stunned that it, this did not fall flat. There were people that did shout his nickname back at him. It might have only been like 50 people, but at least it came back. Because sometimes we hear these and it's silence and it's always like a cringy moment. But he he got some support here with the uh, the request of the crowd to chant his nickname.
1: Yeah, it wasn't a uh, fear of the consequences or <laughs> here-we-go-evil moment. So uh, the crowd was supportive of Matt Favola after his big knockout here.
0: Carolina Kovalkevic, who challenged for and Janjic's title on the very first Madison Square Garden card, um, over the last couple of years, she had lost five in a row. Not often you get that kind of leniency, but then in her last fight in June, submitted Felice Herring. She was taking on Silvana Gomez Juarez, which was the most difficult name for Daniel Cormier over the course of these three rounds. He constantly was calling her silvana Juarez Gomez and was calling himself out saying, I don't know why I keep saying it backwards. It's Gomez Juarez. And then he would go back to Juarez Gomez and to be quite honest, if he didn't call it out, I don't think anyone would have noticed this, but he made it, I, I could not pay not pay attention to it after he called it out. But dude, of some of the names like on this card, you would think he would struggle with, but this was the challenging one that nearly broke the man.
1: His internal struggle throughout this fight was very entertaining because he just, he, he couldn't get it.
0: <laughs> so Kovalkiewicz got, uh, Two takedowns in the round, which they brought up. These two takedowns have equaled the amount of takedowns Kavich has had in her previous 13 fights in the UFC. So never a bad time to learn wrestling at the age of 37.
1: Uh, not at all. It's something that she was in desperate need of and re- responsible for that lengthy losing streak.
0: Uh, Gomez-Warez had a better round in, in the second, landing, uh, several right hands, uh, close round. I had it even going into the third, and then Kovalevich is using her jabs, lots of pressure here, and then gets her down, but can't take the back, and that's how the round ends. So we think, okay, uh, score this fight. Let's just read out the cards. But the New York State Athletic Commission had a near meltdown here on the early prelims because we see a commission member enter, and he is furiously going over these cards and correcting them as time stood still, and there was these problems with the cards. And finally, after a long delay, they concluded that Carolina Kovalkiewicz won by unanimous decision 29-28, which was the scorecard I had. And I would just love to know what the hell was going on here because this was just a mess on the commission's part.
1: Yeah, this was so weird. I don't think I've ever seen a scorecard just ripped out of Bruce Buffer's hands and edited <laughs> in the cage in clear view of the camera before. This was one of the stranger things I can recall. But, uh,. I don't know what the problem was either. I didn't look into it after the bout. These cards move at a fast pace sometimes, but uh, really strange stuff. Uh, I'm sure it's just an error and like someone flipped the jet or the math was wrong or something, but uh, quite the moment. Do you
0: forecast Carolina uh, Kovalevich meeting a Zhang Wei Li down the road?
1: I do do not think that's in her future. I mean, she's uh, she has a lot of miles on her at this point. Uh, she she has improved her wrestling greatly, as evidenced in her last two fights, but um, I don't know. I, I think her days of being a top contender in the division are behind her at this point.
0: Michael Trezano, who missed weight uh, by a pound and a half on Friday, took on... Song Wu Choi in a featherweight fight. Uh, this one got the, uh, the very rare double knockdown, Eric. Both men landing left hooks in the first 30 seconds and go down. And I think it was Joe Rogan who said, you don't see that too often. I mean, you see it sometimes in some online videos, but you don't see it at at this level. This was, uh, this was one that should go into the, uh, the, into the, uh, the opening highlight package for, for every card.
1: Oh, definitely. Uh, Nothing in all of MMA is better than a double knockdown, except for that time that Matt Matrio knocked uh, knocked out Fedor after a double knockdown. We all just pretend that didn't happen. But this was the perfect way to start this fight. And, And let's say this may have been as great as Michael Chandler and Dustin Poirier was. This fight might have been even crazier for the short time it lasted. This was, uh, it didn't
0: last as long as Chandler and Poirier, but for the time they had, this was a hell of a round that they had. Trezano drops him, and he's on top with hammer fist, but Choi gets back to his feet, and now it's Choi that rocks him with a left, and he just throws caution to the wind here. He is throwing everything at Trezano, and with that, Trezano connects with a left hook that drops Choi, and he lands four shots on top. And ends it by knockout at 451 of the first round. And they stated afterwards, it was the last fight on his UFC contract and he had lost his previous two fights. So this was and missed weight. So you had John Annick stating that, you know, he might be up for a bonus after that performance and then realized that he had missed weight. So not quite. So Michael Trezano, um, the message here, always make weight. But yeah, this was a super exciting fight for the 451 it lasted.
1: Yeah, this was wild. There's like five knockdowns in a minute here. Both guys were badly hurt at points. Uh, it was a great win for Trezano, too, who is in desperate need of something like this, uh, given his contract situation and re- recent bouts. Uh, a pretty uh, tough loss for Troy, who has a very rough UFC record at this point, and he's taken a lot of damage, like a remarkable amount of damage in his last few fights. So uh, perhaps a. Uh, a drop in level of competition would be beneficial for him.
0: And then the uh, the remaining two fights we had a Montel Jackson defeating Julio Arce by unanimous decision on scores of thirty twenty seven twice twenty nine twenty eight uh, close first round and then w- once Jackson got his hands going like you could certainly see like his effectiveness with, with his jab um, stacked Arce um, who was very active off of his back but it was Jackson who I mean in the stand up just the uh, the superior striker here uh, to me winning the last two rounds for sure and then it opened with uh, Carlos Ulberg knocking out Nikolai Negamuranu in three minutes and 44 seconds of the first round, uh, getting City kickboxing off to a strong start. Uh, and Olberg has now won three straight. This was a, a very nice win uh, for Olberg. Um, any thoughts on these two fights here, Eric?
1: Um, for Ol- Olberg, I thought this was his best performance in the UFC to date. I remember when he made his UFC debut, I didn't think much of him at all. I thought it was, I thought it was a fairly bad performance. This, he, he looks like a much improved fighter over a very short period of time. And uh, in a division like light heavyweight, that means a lot. I can see him going a lot further than I would have projected him uh, after his first fight in the promotion. Uh, as far as RSA versus Jackson, uh, I thought this was far and away the worst fight on the entire card. I mean, there was very little activity. Uh, it, it was a chore to get through. So uh, I don't really have much to say other than Jackson clearly won.
0: Yes, there's a... Uh... There's always going to be one of them in a, in a 14 fight marathon. But, uh, overall, like this was an excellent show. I just thought, I thought the prelims were fantastic. And then you got that main card. Um, this, this card just had everything. I think it'll be a strong candidate, uh, for card of the year. You might get fight of the year out of this from some. I think round of the year would be up for Chandler and Poirier's first, um, and, and, like, two significant – well, one significant title change and one that I think maybe people were uh, already telegraphing uh, ahead of that. Like dude, I literally saw tweets beforehand of, like, uh, before the fight started, people saying, I am going to congratulate Zhang Weili now on becoming the new strawweight champion just <laughs> to get it out first. <laughs> I mean, it was just, like, yeah. the amount of writing off of Carlos Farza. I mean, I just cannot believe it. But uh, that was UFC 281, tremendous show. And the fight of the night, obviously going to Chandler and Poirier and then Zhang Wei Li and Alex Pereira getting the performance of the night bonuses. Um, a very jovial Dana White afterwards, uh, half an hour he did. And this was at God, this, this card ended at like one in the morning and then the press conference happened afterwards. So this was this was a very, very late night. And um, yeah, that was it. Any any closing thoughts on UFC 281, Eric?
1: Not really. This this was a tremendous card, uh, 11 finishes and 14 fights. You got two title changes. You got some absolutely brutal knockouts. And uh, the final fight of Frankie Edgar, as depressing as the bout may have been, that's another really notable moment. Uh, we'll see if this is indeed his final fight. I, I truly hope it is.
0: Oh, I really hope it is. Yeah. So um, before we look at the cards coming up, we do have a super chat from the one and only Brandon from New Jersey. Eric, should Pereira go up to lightweight, I think he means light, heavyweight, he would totally own that weight class. See you Saturday, can't wait. What are you talking about on Saturday? Well, Saturday, this Saturday at QXT's nightclub in Newark, New Jersey. It's the post-wrestling five-year anniversary show, minutes away from AEW, full gear. We hope to see you all there, postwrestling.com slash live. I know Brandon wanted to fit all of that in there, but he was, uh, I guess, strung for time.
1: Yeah, I won't be seeing you there uh, on Saturday, Brandon. And I also think Alex Pierre will probably die if he tries to cut to 155 pounds.
0: That would not be a successful (laughs) uh, weight cut. But I guess we can uh, update people that because uh, myself, Neil, Andrew Thompson are all going to be in Newark next weekend. What are we going to do for AEW full gear? We have passed on the baton to the great Eric Marcotte, who will be covering AEW on the site next Saturday. Is this confirmed, Eric?
1: It is confirmed. Uh, will this be a complete disaster? We will find out.
0: We will find out. Uh, maybe there will be some more press conference fun next next weekend. We will see. But uh, Eric uh, doing uh, the MVP work next weekend on the site. Uh, meanwhile, for, for the UFC, so next weekend they're back with Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak uh, at the Apex. The follow, uh, actually they're off the following weekend and then December 3rd, it's Steven Thompson against Kevin Holland in the main event. And that's, they are going on the road for that fight night, uh, to Orlando, Florida. And the next time we will be here is the weekend of UFC 282, which is headlined by another contender for fight of the year. It will be a rematch between Yuri Prohaska and Glover Teixeira for the light heavyweight championship. Uh, the rest of the main card has Magomed Unkolaev against Jan Blahovic, Patty Pimblet versus Jared Gordon, Robbie Lawler against Santiago Ponzanibio, and Bryce Flat Earth Mitchell taking on Ilya <laughs> Taporia. Um, what else do we have here? Alexander uh, Gustafsson against Oven St. Prue in oh 2022. What? <laughs> that is happening. Uh, Darren Till is back taking on du Duplessis, Jarzinho Rosenstruck against Chris Dawkas. What else do we have here? That's, uh, those are the standout fights on, uh, the card next month. Uh, this was the card that I mean, um, you know, there had been, uh, the rumors of John Jones potentially coming back for this, but that did not uh, pan out. Dana White stating John Jones will fight in 2023. So, uh, what do you think about this next pay-per-view offering? Are you hyped for uh Prohaska Glover number two?
1: Um, their first fight is probably the fight of the year for me at this point. Uh, but man, looking through that card, there is a lot of uh, a lot of shop board fighters on this card. I mean, Ovin St. Proof versus Alexander Gustafson in 2022. That is that that might be a really sad fight. I mean, Robbie Lawler, that might be a really sad fight, too. <laughs> man, I can't say I'm looking forward to this now. It feels <laughs> like the entire lineup of Frankie Edgar fights after Frankie Edgar fights.
0: Well, you've got a month to get ready for it for that one. So, um, that, that is the day we have got, uh, final battle, NXT deadline, and then this UFC card. So that's all happening in the very same day. So that'll be, that'll be quite the fun weekend, won't it? Um, yeah, man, I'm just pulling up Robbie Lawler here. He has lost five of his last six. Uh, we last saw him against Brian Barbarina, where, to be honest, Brian, uh, Robbie Lawler did not look terrible in that fight with, with Brian Barbarina. So, um.
1: No, R- Robbie's never really went out there and looked terrible. He still does some interesting things. He's fairly durable, even though he got finished in that one. But, uh, still, his best days are long, long behind him. Yeah. When you, when can you look at the guys he's, he's had. The, Sanibio, though.
0: He's fought, uh, these losses RDA. Ben Askren, which was the fight that was very much debated. Colby Covington, Neil Magny. He had the win against Nick Diaz, which was a, a very weird fight. And then the Brian Barbarino loss. So there you have it. That will be uh, next month's offering uh, from the UFC. But uh, Eric, I want to thank you, number one, for uh, your fantastic report last night on the site that everyone can go check out with uh, Eric's uh, in-depth thoughts about the card. Uh, doing this show and uh, about 10 million changes that I threw your way over the week as we uh, tried our best to... Uh, workshop this uh this backup plan and a big thank you to Davey portman and the bde here for uh hosting the ufc 281 post show
1: it, it all worked out in the end
0: so eric where can people follow you and get all of your um your thoughts your in-depth reflections on life where where's the best place to follow eric marcotte
1: you can follow me at marcot 705 on Twitter. You can go postwrestling.com slash Discord and talk to me in the wrestling and MMA channels. I'm very active in there. And all of my written work is on postwrestling.com.
0: All right. Thanks to everyone for joining us at uh, the new start time here that we had uh, for, for today only. But uh, we appreciate it. And uh, once again, if you are in the New Jersey area next Saturday, postwrestling.com slash live for our five-year anniversary show. And uh, we hope to see many of you there that is it for us have a wonderful rest of your day from the bde i am john pollock for eric marcotte thank you for tuning in to the ufc 281 post show this saturday post wrestling turns five years old
1: hey there it's james at liverpool i usually hate people talking and talking but you two guys have got such a great chemistry. I could just listen to you all day, and I often do. Hey, what's up, guys? Mark from Michigan here. I just wanted to
2: give a quick shout-out and a congratulations to a strong five years of post-wrestling. i uh, been a fan since 2014, and I hope I'm a fan forever. Uh, I love the website. I love the message boards, the addition of Andrew Thompson, and the Nate Milton show, and things like that. So here's the post-wrestling forever. Thanks, guys.
0: This is Bosch
2: from New York
0: City, and... I just want to say you guys are a true inspiration to me, just the hard work that you guys put in. I'm just so grateful to have you guys in my life for the last 12 years since I was in college and my daughter was in preschool and now she's almost 17 years old, which is crazy to think. I hope to continue listening to you guys for many, many decades to come. And I feel like you guys are my friends just because we have seen you guys grow up over the years so thank you guys get your tickets at postwrestling.com slash live this Saturday November 19th at QXT's nightclub starting at 1pm